Are you a quitter or a finisher? When it's bigger than yourself, what's it going to take? It takes determination, perseverance, digging in deep, day in and day out. It takes a tribe. It takes hope and work in the plan. Because anyone can start, but few finish well. Do you have what it takes? Hey, Mom. Good to see everybody. Hey, let's say hello to everybody at all the campuses. Can we just welcome everybody in? Glad you're joining us from Bel Air and Edgewood, Abingdon, Mountain Road. A bunch of people online this weekend taking some kids to college or wherever you are. If you're joining us online, we're glad you're with us as well. Hey, so, okay, finish this sentence for me. When the going gets tough, the tough gets going. Yeah. Okay, so that's the saying. So... What about reality? What, what, about, what about you in reality when life gets hard? When, it, when it's tough to endure or hang in there and show persistence? Especially maybe we're thinking about our spiritual life. Like when it's, when it's not easy or popular or fun to follow Jesus or to be a Christ follower. What then? Sometimes when the tough get going, we just want to get going. <laughs> When the going gets tough, we just want to get out of there, right? The Bridger Teton National Forest is filled with these rugged hiking trails and, and uh, all over the mountains. And they've got this suggestion box at the trailhead. And these are actual suggestions in this rugged wilderness area that came in from hikers in the suggestion box. You ready? Trail needs to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. Okay. How about this one? Too many bugs and leeches and spiders and spider webs. Please spray the wilderness to rid the area of these pests. Please pave the trails. Too many rocks in these mountains. <laughs> Chairlifts need to be installed so we can get to the wonderful views without having to hike so far. There's something about hiking this person's not understanding. How about this one? A small deer came into my camp and stole my jar of pickles. Is there a way I can get reimbursed? <laughs> what a bunch of wimps. If you're going to go hiking, expect some rocks and some hills and some spiderwebs. Am I right? Okay, so, so here's the deal. The message of the Bible could not be more clear from beginning to end, and it confirms what all of us already know from living one single day on the planet, and that is that life is not always easy. Life is hard, and if, if you're following Jesus, you can expect some extra challenges. Someone's going to steal your pickles. There's no chairlifts when you sign up to be a Christ follower. Jesus told us all about that. That's why Paul, this old cagey, wise, time and tested war veteran of a disciple, writes a letter of encouragement and exhortation to a young, struggling uphill, looking for a chairlift, guy named Timothy. It's in your Bible. It's called 2 Timothy. We're working through it over, the, over a several week period of time. Because the message that he wants to give him is, you know, hey, yeah, it can be hard, it can be uphill, but don't quit. It was one year ago this very week when a bunch of us from Mountain 
supported by y'all and uh, encouraged by y'all, made an ascent to the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro in Kenya. It was one year ago this week. And uh, I I tell you, it was quite quite a trip. I remember a lot of people, as we fed back on that and talked about it later, a lot of us said, you know what, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. It's true for a lot of us. I was on that hike, and it was all thumbs up at the beginning, because guess what? It's not hard to start, right? You You can start a lot of things in life. That's not the hard part. But over time, the cumulative effect of the wear down of eating that food and sleeping in those bunks and the cold and people snoring in your ears at night and then the hiking the miles and the altitude wigging out your brain and just the fatigue of the hiking and the wind and the sun and all of that. And then it comes to this climactic push where you get a little bit of sleep and a, and a little bit of food and then you get up at midnight and you go through the night up in the cold and 15,000 feet and 16, 17, 18,000. It's the longest night of my life. And finally, when we kind of came out into the daylight... Um, we eventually made it to the very, very top. Somehow, a bunch of weary, discouraged, deflated um, hikers made it to the top of Kilimanjaro. Let me tell you one of the main reasons. The reason was not because we you know, just kind of dug deep in some inner reservoir. You ever, you ever sometimes hear that someone say, just dig deep, and you dig deep and there's nothing there? That's how every one of us felt on that hike more than once. But one of the reasons that we found some, some energy and strength we didn't really possess in our own was we had an extrinsic motivator. We had an extrinsic source of strength. We had something outside of ourselves. And that is that we, we weren't doing it for ourselves. Someone would say, we were raising funds for kids in the slums of Nairobi whose best days were not as good as the ones we were currently complaining about. And when, when you're about ready to quit and turn back and say, this is not worth it, why, why, don't, why am I, why? someone would yell from the back of the line, do it for the kids! And you'd be like, oh, yeah, okay. And you, you'd somehow move forward and you didn't know you could because you had that extrinsic. Or someone would encourage you or, or we'd start singing a song in the group together. So there's all these extrinsic things that somehow give you strength inside of yourself. Do you see how that works? You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you need something outside yourself to come inside yourself that sort of takes up residence and gives you strength that you did not have on your own that's what we call grit and it isn't just digging deep inside of yourself it's allowing extrinsic sources and forces to come in to give you strength to endure that you don't have on your own Grit's the name of this series, and that's what this book of the Bible is all about, Second Timothy chapter 2. Under the shadow of the gallows, because he's in prison on death row, about to be executed, Paul writes with urgency and a compelling sort of um, message to this young Timothy who's intimidated and scared and facing all kinds of struggles on his own to say, Timothy, I know you don't have it on your own, but let me remind you of some sources outside of yourself. And the message that he gave him today is the message that a lot of us need right now. When God calls you to something, here's the message. Do not quit. Find your grit. You want to say it with me? Do not quit. Find your grit. And the way you find that grid is in these key ingredients that Paul walks through and and gives us, which are outside of ourselves, that can come inside of ourselves, these sources and forces that give us strength. We've talked about several of them. The first one we started with a couple weeks ago was good and godly friends. Huge difference maker in your grit level. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. 
Last week, Annie McNeely talked to us about God's spirit. You may have a spirit of timidity or weakness or ignorance or fear or whatever your spirit is, but God, by his spirit, can give you a spirit of power to endure difficult circumstances and love to endure difficult people and a, and a, and a spirit of self-discipline to, to endure difficult temptations. And in future weeks, we're going to see that grit also will include godly heroes because who you look up to determines how high up you go. And also God's plan because hope is the fuel of grit. Today I want to talk to you about another huge key to grit for every follower of Jesus. And here it is. You ready? God's word. God's word comes to us from outside of ourselves and it comes into us, takes lodge up in residence inside of us and gives us a strength and a grit we didn't have. God's word is his revealing of himself to us. It's his will, like what he wants and and his truth, like what's real. It's his promises, like what you can go to the bank on in life. It's like all revealed to us as a precious gift and it's extrinsic. It comes to us and takes up residence. And here's the bottom line, friends. If you want some grit in your gut, you got to get God's word in your heart. Let me say that again. That's tweetable. But it's also true. If you want some grit in your gut, and we all do, you got to get God's word in your heart. I want to talk to you today about how important God's word is in each of our lives. Paul is writing this letter, and he's saying essentially to Timothy, if you read through these passages, he's saying, wow, Timothy, there's a lot going on right now, all kinds of ridiculous ideas swirling around, all kinds of false teaching about God, there's a smorgasbord of philosophies and ideologies and worldviews, and people are being swept along like reeds shaken in the wind, Timothy, but you, you stand strong and be firm because you're going to be nourished in the Word of God, you're going to hold on to all that stuff. And that message could not be more applicable to you and to me in the world we live in right now. It just could not be more more fitting in the midst of all the news feeds that propagate their angle of truth or political ideologies that are swirling around and and all the ideas and concepts that are perpetuated through film or, or classrooms or back porches. You and I need to feed our minds on the truth of God. We need to nourish our hearts and be encouraged by the love of God. We need to stick faithfully to the ways of God. We need to trust in the promises of God and lean on the truth of God, even when it's hard. Because if you want grit in your gut, you got to get God's word in your heart. So 2 Timothy is a letter that talks to us a lot about God's word scriptures, the Bible, and it conveys three main ideas if you look through chapters 2, 3, and 4 particularly. Kind of three big ideas as I kind of read through this. The Bible's going to teach us to, to, to guard it and to consume it and then to trust it. Guard it, consume it, and trust it. And when you do, God's Word has a way of getting you through and giving you grit you didn't have. I don't know what your present relationship is with God's Word today, your understanding of the Bible, your appreciation of Scripture. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it at all. Some of you are very familiar. Some of you are not very familiar. Some comfortable. Some very cool. Some distrusting. Some warm and well-read. Others like, no. doesn't matter about any of that. Here's what I also, here's what I do know. I know a lot of us are struggling with life. A lot of us are facing a challenge or a difficult transition or a loss, or an issue. A lot of us are like Timothy. We're sort of in over our heads, or we're overwhelmed. Sometimes we're discouraged. 
I know that each of us wants to find more grit to hang on and change our attitude or keep going. And that we don't always believe it's down inside of us. So I want to encourage you to take these three words to heart when it comes to you and the word of God. Guard it, consume it, and trust it. Guard it because you need to stand on the truth. Because it's under attack, you need to hold on to it. Consume it because you've got to take it in and be nourished on something. And there's so much spiritual junk food out there. And trust it because we live in a world of lies and misinformation and fake news. And everybody's trusting something, some source of truth. You're turning to some place as the sort of go-to source. And God's word is always faithful and true. It will never let you down or prove to be false. When you guard it, consume it, and trust it, it'll get you through. Let's start with guard it a little bit. Let's talk about it. Paul tells us how to guard it and hold on to it. Look at, look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Look what he says. He says this. So there's all this other stuff going on, and then, and then Paul just brings it around, and he says to you and to me, hold on. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching. Isn't that a beautiful description of, of God's truth? Pattern of wholesome teaching. That you learn from me. Someone, someone introduced you to some truth about God. Hold on to it. Don't just sort of like, oh, well, you know, I, I, where'd that go? I lost it. I don't know. Hold on to it. A pa- it's a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, care- God will help you do this. In other words, carefully guard. Listen to how it describes Scripture here. The good deposit of precious truth. Isn't that powerful? That's been entrusted to you. The sacred trust been handed to you. you know, a lot of you won't be surprised to know as a kid I played football. You look at me, you probably think, there's a football player. Uh, at nine years old, we won the city championship. And my favorite play was the T right, two left. And I got that end sweep reverse and uh, it led to many, many touchdowns, I assure you. They're still talking about it all over Minnesota. Uh, but we had a little drill because, you know, if you're a running back with the ball and you drop the ball, if you're a non-sports person, that's not good, okay? What do you got to do if you're a running back? You got to hold on to the... Yeah, don't let go. So we did this drill. The whole team would line up on this gauntlet, and then the running backs would get the ball, and we'd try to run through there. And as you're trying to run through the gauntlet, what's everybody doing? They're pawing at you. They're punching at you. They're grabbing the ball. They're trying to do anything to rip that ball to teach you to do what? Hold on to the... Yeah. This is what Paul's saying. Don't just carry it like a loaf of bread. Get that thing. Hold on. You, something important's been entrusted to you. Don't you know? We live in a world where there's Bibles all over the place, and you know people don't even care about the Word of God. But you, you got to hold on to it. Don't drop it. Somebody's given you some truth. Great lengths have been gone to to preserve the Scriptures and pass them down, and everyone's trying to knock it loose and strip it away. But you hold on to it. There's another problem you have if you ever walk down the streets of Las Vegas. Someone walks up to your hands and you say, thank you very much. You're like, oh my goodness, I don't want that. You know, you just, someone puts something in your hand that you don't want sometimes. You ever been on the strip of Las Vegas? You know what I'm talking about. So there's an equal problem that way. Paul says, hold on to the right stuff. He calls it the pattern. It's the same word that was used of an architect when he made a blueprint for a house. God's word's like a blueprint. For, for, God has a plan for your life. Hold on to that. That's how things work. Follow the blueprint. Don't try to add or, or change or design your life and the world how you want it to be. Follow the pattern. Don't mess with it. We live in a time when everyone thinks I can do whatever I want. What's true for you is true for you, but not for me. We, everyone has their own truth. We just live in this age of relativism and we're 
all just kind of out here playing the game however we want. There's no umpire calling. We just run the bases however you want. I can decide what's right. You decide what's right. And, by, and, and the Bible, Paul's saying it doesn't work that way. That's not really the way it is. You need to hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching. All that stuff about Jesus, that's the truth. Hold on to that. Friends, what's your life really about? What blueprint are you patterning your life after? Hold on. Guard the scriptures. Don't drop it. That word guard is the word for sacred deposit. Like when you had an inheritance you were going to give to your kids, you would give, the same word was used when you gave like all your money to, to someone to hold on. So when I die, then you give it to my kids. It's a sacred deposit. Don't, don't just lose it. Hold on to it. It's a sacred deposit. That's what he says you need to do with the Bible. How many of you ever been down to the, um, to the tomb of the unknown soldier down down in D.C. Yeah, if, if you live this close, you really ought to go there sometime. It's quite stirring to see it down in Arlington, how seriously each sentinel regards their task of guarding this tomb that is there for the unknown soldier, those who have given their lives in the line of duty. They, they, they call their continuous march in front of that tomb walking the mat. And they've been doing it 24-7 since July of 1937. There's always a soldier there in all weather, stifling heat, rain, hail, snow, doesn't matter, without complaint, without change of expression, there they are. They're just walking the mat. When, in 2003, when Hurricane Isabel came through, 60 mile an hour winds, it was pounding the capital. Tree fell, you know, crash and crack about 60 feet away from there. That, that guard on duty didn't flinch. They sent message. They said, it's safe for you to, you, you need to get out of there and take safety. Nobody moved. They didn't budge. This is our highest honor. We won't be moved, they said. And, and Paul's saying to you and to me, you've been entrusted with a high honor of guarding the good news of Jesus. Guard it faithfully. Every Christian is to stand like a sentinel outside the empty tomb of Jesus Christ and say, I'm not leaving here. This is where I'm staying. Even if the high winds of change or the storms of life threaten or scare others away, I'm going to stand firm. Right here on the Word of God, the truth of God, and I'm going to guard this precious deposit with God's help. Every ministry in this church, every moment in this church, from kids' ministry, student ministry, groups' ministry, this, this preaching ministry, we pledge before you like a solemn military oath to do our very best to stand firm on the Word of God, guard that sacred deposit. And I want to invite you to do the very same, to stake your life on it, to say, I'm going to hold on to it, nothing's going to strip it, I'm going to guard it, nothing's going to take it away from me no matter what. And if it becomes unpopular or creates a storm of public opinion, we're not going to waver, we're not going to budge, we're not going to flinch, we're not going to change. When celebrity says there's some new truth, when somebody comes along and says, no, 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 here's a new philosophy or some new brand of spin of spirituality, when itching ears just hear whatever they want to hear, you know what? We're going to stand firm on this right here and walk the mat. That's what we do. I'm going to invite you to do the same thing. 16th century, a guy named Martin Luther started reading his Bible, and he said, wait a second, there's some stuff in here that we're not doing, that I'm not doing. And he spoke out about it, talked to the church officials. He says, it says here that, you know what, we're saved not by what we do, our works, we're saved, it says in the Bible, we're saved by grace through our faith alone. He said, you know what, we don't need all the rules and rituals and man-made traditions as much as we need, we can be, we need the Bible alone, and they didn't like it. When they heard that, they, they, they said, Martin Luther, you better recant. You better take it back or there's going to be hell to pay for you. And they, they, he knew they'd be excommunicated, probably killed. 
They put him on trial for it, for standing up on the word of God. He said, you better think about it. He said, I'll think about it overnight. He came back the next day. He said, Martin Luther, what do you have to say for yourself? Are you ready to recant? And Martin Luther stepped forward with the Bible in his hand, and he said, my conscience is held captive by the word of God. And I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. There's a person who stood firm on the word of God and guarded it and let the chips fall where they may. You need to do the same thing. Hold on to it. Put your life on it. Refuse to budge. Guard God's word in your life like that. Follow its patterns. Stay with it. Don't worry about what everyone else is doing. And you will find yourself being a person whose grit quotient goes way up. And that's not in you already. You need that from God's word. Let's talk about consume it. Consume it. First you guard it. Now you consume it. What does that mean? Take it in. You've got to find some way to feed on it. You can't just sort of walk by the Bible or have one on your coffee table. You've got to indulge in it. You've got to let it nourish you. You've got to let it get inside your corpuscles and move through your veins and your spiritual arteries and, and, and consume it so it can strengthen you because it's so easy to feed on spiritual junk food. Finish this sentence. You are what you eat. Yeah. It's true physically, isn't it? If all you ever eat is carrots, you're going to look like one. You know, skinny and orange. If you couldn't resist all of the buzz about the Popeye's chicken sandwiches this week and the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwiches, and for every meal you taste-tested both of them, pretty soon you're going to have big round buns like they have. Is that not true? Yeah. You are what you eat. Guess what? It's true spiritually as well. What you feed your mind on and your soul on, what you consume shapes who you become. And if you want to have grit, you got to consume something more than spiritual junk food. So in this book of 2 Timothy, there's all kinds of stuff here about what we consume and, and what we're consumed by and what we, what we eat and what eats us. He says in chapter 2, by the way, did you know there's a whole, I'm going to take a little rabbit trail here. Did you know there's a whole thing here in the Bible about Facebook? He was way ahead of his time. Can you just raise your hand if you have a Facebook account? Would you just, let me see who you are. Yeah, keep your hand up if, if uh, you not only have Facebook, but you have ever or use, have, have Twitter or Snap, Snapchat or Instagram. Keep your hand up. Come on now. If you ever use email, let me see your hand. If you ever talk on the phone or converse with your mouth with other human beings, let me see your hand. So it's a vast majority of us, except some of you who are too cool to raise your hand. So that's fine. In chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, Paul talks about Facebook discussions. He has just gotten done saying, nourish yourself, feed yourself on Jesus. Think about him, live with him, endure with him, and he will be faithful. And then here comes the Facebook stuff. I mean, I don't know if it's Facebook stuff. You decide. 2 Timothy 2.14. Remind everyone about these things about Jesus and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Hmm. Such arguments are what? Helpful, inspiring, life-changing? No, useless. And they can ruin those who hear them. The word ruin there is the word catastrophe. It's a catastrophe. You ever read a thread on Facebook and you thought, this is a catastrophe. Verse 16. Word for God peop- God's people now. Avoid godless chatter. Because those who engage in it will become more and more ungodly. You can't engage in ungodly chatter and expect that you're going to come out looking more godly. It doesn't work that way. 
Their teaching will spread like gangrene. It's cancer, foolish talk. Verse 23, again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. You know, the Bible isn't relevant to today, is it? You know, it just never says anything that really relates to us. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be kind to everyone and be able to teach. You, you, can, be, you can disagree, just don't be so doggone disagreeable. And be patient with difficult people. You can't be patient when you're typing on Facebook. Gently, gently, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change your hearts and so forth. Instead, look what he says to God's people in chapter 2, verse 15. Work hard so you can present yourself not just as someone who's caught up with current events, but present yourself to God, not everyone else in your feed, because it's his approval you're after. Be a good worker, one who doesn't need to be ashamed, and who correctly explains the word of truth. You want to be an expert on something? Let it be the Word of God. So what are you consuming? Every one of us has to choose between the clatter and the chatter of the world or the clarity and the power of God's Word. Nourish yourself on Scripture because it'll help you be prepared for the challenges of life. Charles Spurgeon, an old preacher, used to say this, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone whose life isn't. Spend enough time nourishing yourself in the Word of God, and you'll be one of those people who's grounded in God's Word, and that won't, then you won't be shocked by whatever life brings. In the end, everyone has to decide whether you're going to go after the clatter and chatter of the world or the clarity and power of God's Word, because you are what you eat. So can I just challenge you to be very thoughtful about what you're consuming, what you're shaping your soul and your mind with, so the Netflix choices you make matter. The Spotify playlist you choose matters. The websites you click on, the news feeds you consume, the movies you watch, the magazines you, you, you look at, the books and conversations you expose yourself to, they absolutely mold your character. And if you don't believe that, you're just either naive or ignorant. The old saying is true. So a thought, with so means to plant. So a thought and you reap an action. You start thinking about something long enough, you do it. So an action, you start doing it long enough, it becomes a what? Habit. So a habit, and before long, it becomes who you are, your character. And if, after a while, your character determines your destiny. It all begins with a thought. It begins with what you are nourished by. What are you consuming? This is why the image of God's Word so often is, is given to us as, a, as an idea saying that we've got to eat it. We've got to consume it. Ezra was told to consume the scroll. Or Psalm 119 says, how sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. That's how God's Word is supposed to be. God's Word is called milk and bread and meat in the Bible. We're told to feed ourselves on the Word of God. That comes inside of us and then changes us from the inside out. If you are what you eat, how are you doing on consuming God's Word? How's your Bible intake? Or let me just ask it this way. What's nourishing you? What's nourishing you? Trying to survive on spiritual junk food? So often if our lives are consumed by something... We're just like overwhelmed, consumed. I want to ask, when something's consuming you, the big question is, what are you consuming? Because if you're consuming God's word, then you're not going to be overly consumed by anything else. Or, or when something's, when you're all stressed and anxious and just can't, can't get, get, you know, peace uh, in the storm. The question is, when something's eating at you, the question is, what are you eating? See what I'm saying? 
back when I was in high school uh, as a wrestler, it was pre, uh, pre um, uh, energy drink and all these gel packets you have today. So we just used to kind of put honey. You'd go there and I'd eat a bunch of honey for a long tournament like that. Because the idea is you get out there on the mat, you don't want to run out of energy, right? Two reasons for honey. It was sweet, tasted good. And number two, it would give you energy and strength for the struggle ahead. Is that what God's work is, word is like for you? It's sweet to you? Tastes good? And you're looking to it because you know there's a struggle ahead and you want to be nourished in the right way? When you're out there on the mat with your back on the rubber, it's too late to say, hey, does anybody have any honey? You needed to have taken it an hour earlier. And God's word, I hope it's sweet to you. Some of us still like bitter. It's like, I don't know, I'm afraid of it. I can't stand the taste. Some of us are still not sure that it's nourishing for us. So consume it. Paul tells us why. Paul tells us why it's so important. He, he says in chapter 3, there's all kinds of ungodly people and people who love themselves and love their money and love something. They're just rude and ornery and it's horrible. It's a list of people today, basically. And then he says in verse 14, but you, now you're different. You've got to remain faithful to the things you've been taught. In other words, the scriptures. You've been taught scriptures from, your, from, from childhood, so they're going to give you the wisdom you need. And then he points us to the truth of scripture. Look at verse 16. Here's what he says. He says, all scripture is inspired. That means God breathed. It comes from God and is useful. The Bible is practical. It's useful. You, you want to know about finances or dating or sex or, 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 or business. You, it's all there. Leadership, it's there in the Bible. It's useful and it'll teach us what's true because sometimes we don't know. And it makes us realize what's wrong in our lives and corrects us. We need, it tells us where to go and where not to go. And so we can be on the right path and have a happy and blessed life. Three things it's saying here. One, it's saying the Bible's inspired. It means it comes from God. It's God-breathed. God used human authors. Over 40 different writers. Three different continents. Three different languages. 1,500 different years of time. 66 different books. Two different testaments. Bound together now in one story. That's the inspiration of God does that. And then this book reveals what we, in our minds, if we would just wish something could be true, the Bible says it reveals to us the very thing we hope for the most is in fact the way it is. You see, you see in our deepest hearts, when you look at nature, you think, boy, if I didn't know better, I'd say there's a beautiful designer and the Bible gives him a name. In your heart, you kind of wish there was someone who's going to rescue us and love us and not leave us alone. The Bible says, oh, it's true. It's not an alien. It's, his name is Jesus. It reveals to us what we instinctively in our hearts wish in our wildest dreams could be true. And it gives it a name. Jesus. Way back, a long time ago, 1987, I took a flyer. And I wrote a letter to a girl. And in language more sophisticated than this, I basically threw a little flyer out there to, to see was she interested in me. Just wrote her a little letter. I still have it right here. It says number one. 
she wrote back. Oh, little interest there. I wrote her another one. Number two. She wrote back. I wrote her another one. Number three. She wrote back. I wrote her another one. Number four. Five, six, seven. Do, I, do, you, do you get the point? It wasn't the letters. That wasn't the main idea here. It was, it was that it was forming a relationship and communicating the depths of our hearts and we fell in love and we spent time together and sacrificed for each other until we became married and we're still expressing those things to each other. It's not about the letters. The letters were important, but they, they were they're important to me and I tore into them because someone loved me and I loved them. So the letters are important, but it's about the relationship. That's all it is with the Bible. It's a letter from someone who's the lover of your soul, who's communicating to you the thing that every human being wants to know more than anything else. Does anyone out there love me? And the answer is a resounding yes. Not because of the words, but because of the relationship that God longs for with you. The lover of your soul. It's a personal letter. The... This isn't about the paper and the words and the grammar and the dot matrix printer I used back then. It's about the person and the Bible points us to Jesus. And if you're reading the Bible in a way that doesn't draw you closer to him and help you understand him and and eventually look more like him, you're missing it. You're doing it wrong. The Bible, as Hebrews 4.12, is alive. Hebrews 4.12 says it's alive and powerful and sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, exposes us. Just like these letters, we poured out our heart and soul and tried to say things no human even knows how to say, but I tried to put it in a letter. God's done the same. That's God's word. So how do, we, how do we consume it? Let's just maybe give you something really practical here. Something really practical. One, you got to get it in your hand. You got to get it in your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah somehow or other, you got to pick it up. You know, there, there's an old, there, was a, there, was a high, there was a high school boy who lived a wild, crazy life. Sex, drugs, a, a lot of wild living. And he heard some kids playing a game in which they were sing-songing back and forth, and one of the words, phrases was, pick it up and read it. And he, he knew it was God's way of telling him to pick up the Bible and read it, and he did. And he found their power and an invitation to a relationship that changed his life. He became the greatest leader of the church for the first several centuries. His name was Augustine. Started with those words, pick it up and read it. And for a lot of us, our journey with Christ will never move where it needs to move until you do the same. Pick it up and read it. Get it in your hand. Yeah. So whether, whether, you need to, whether for you that means you need to listen to it in the car or in the shower because you don't like reading, or whether it means you need to get a Bible plan. Here's my favorite Bible app. It's called the Bible app. B-I-B-L-E. You can spell that. You can, even on an Android, you can find it. All right? 
and, and you, you put it on your phone and it's got a million different plans and breakdowns and ways you could go at the Bible. And there's a thousand ways. I, on my Facebook post this week, I just threw out a question a couple days ago. Go look at it. It just says, uh, hey, what's a Bible reading plan that's worked for you? And I got all kinds of crazy answers, but a lot of really, really good ones. And so maybe you can go look at that and get a plan. Uh, when I was in college, a bunch of us guys, we, we started a, a, our own, we called it four Ps before breakfast. Um, one, we read a psalm, a book of, a book of psalms, uh, one of the psalms. We read a proverb, we did 25 push-ups, and I'll let you f- figure out what the last P referred to. But it doesn't matter what the plan is, you figure it out. Well, I don't have time. Well, no, of course you don't. What's more important, though? Make some time. Because you are what you eat, so consume the Word of God. And to do that, you've got to get it in your hand. And that will help you then get it in your heart. Get it in your heart. The biggest idea I want to share with you and get it with your heart is this. Small bites. Don't worry about sort of absorbing the whole thing. <laughs> just, just, just take a word. Just take a verse. Just small bites. Don't gulp it. It's not a dog trying to eat the whole bowl of food at one swallow. It's, it's a dog gnawing on the same bone for an hour and a half that matters most with the Bible. Just examine a word. Think about it. Rewrite it in your own words. Maybe journal about it. Talk to God about it. Talk to God about what you're hearing. The Bible won't talk back to you if you don't talk to it. But that doesn't make any sense, or I don't like that, or I don't know what to do about that. That's, that's fair. Talk about it. Then it'll start talking to you. Marinate on it. Soak in it. Simmer on it. Talk to your Bible, it'll talk back to you. Ask God, what are you trying to say to me? I don't understand what this has to do with me right now. In the next year, it's way better for you to have two verses that have been transferred into your soul than to have your eyes pass over every word of the Bible and have it all bounce off your brain. So get it into your heart. Some of you might need to sign up for Rooted. That's a tremendous experience a thousand of us have been through but right now is the time to sign up it's a great group experience no matter where you are with the bible it's a great place i can't recommend it highly enough also we have a college course we offer here called milligan at mountain from milligan uh, college down in tennessee and it's it's actually a book study on the pastoral epistles which includes second timothy so you could go deeper in that it's taught by lee magnus fantastic sign up that's in the bulletin today as well i don't know what you need to do but i do know this you need to You need to guard it and consume it. And can I just leave you with this? Trust it. Trust it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. When you feel all alone in life, you remember God's word saying, you're not alone, I'm always with you. Trust it. When you you feel afraid and worried, you remember God's word says, be anxious for nothing. Don't, Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. When you remember God's word saying, my rod and my staff are here to protect you. Remember God's word saying, the fire is not going to consume you. The waters are not going to overtake you. Trust him. Trust it. When you're facing serious temptation, you're like, this is bigger than me. I might as well just give in. No, you, you like Jesus, call on the word of God to rescue you and guide you away from your passions or your temptations. When, you, when, when you're dying and you're breathing your last breaths on life, it's slipping away from you. You remember Jesus' words saying, I prepare a place for you and I'm going to take you to be with me and you can die in peace. And until then, every day in the meantime, when it's hard to obey, when it's hard to forgive because you want to punch someone back in the nose, when it's hard to give because you're feeling like a tight wad, when, it, when, it's, when things don't make sense, you remember God's word and, and you do it anyway because you trust because he's trustworthy. And when you do, you'll find yourself living and acting in a way with 
the strength that you don't have on your own. And guess what? You'll find your grit in your gut when you get God's word in your heart. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for the living word of Jesus who comes before us in the flesh and for giving us the Bible, the written word, which kind of points to him and helps us have a whole new opportunity to have life and help us now to guard it faithfully and to consume it regularly and to to trust it daily. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.